This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! I dig your sweater. Oh, thanks. This is my lounging around the house sweater. I'm fully in my pajamas because uh, I have a dune hangover. All right. It was great, man. I watched it on HBO last night. It lived up to all my expectations and then some. Just finished Sorry. the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're running ragged lately, man. The life of a professional theater man is a busy life. It is. I don't. I can't just lounge around in my pajamas all day. Thanks for the subtweet there. Let's jump into it. Uh, this, my friends, is Gotta Grow Up Sometime, a Swan's Crossing retrospective, and I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey, here uh, having just experienced some of the most amazing dancing of, <laughs> of my viewing history. I never thought anything would make me long for the Swan's Crossing line dance. We watched episode 25 of Swan's Crossing, and uh, now we're going to talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about the thumbnail. Sydney in this thumbnail is on, on the ShoutFactory.tv thumbnail is standing in front of a full-length mirror wearing what I thought was a floral print dress with like black background and, and white flowers. But on closer inspection, it looked like it might be silhouettes of birds, maybe <laughs> swans. She, Let's not count them all. <laughs> here's the thing. They ended up not being swans in the episode. Oh, good. But they, they looked like it in the tiny thumbnail. Uh, she has her <laughs> hands on her hips and seems critical. And my guess from this was that she was picking something to wear for, for some big event or meeting or something and isn't happy with anything. And I assumed Sandy was just off camera. I was pretty much right on all counts. You, yeah, like dead on, man. It's a bit of a deja vu moment because we're back to Sydney fretting over outfits and Sandy being there to uh, to help her. Yeah, so my my predictions based on thumbnails seem to be improving. How about my predictions based on plot? <laughs> well, you know, not terrible. Here, here's what you predicted last time. You said that Garrett would make a big deal about the alleged switcheroo of Sandy and Sydney. We did get some of that towards the end of the episode. You said that JT and Neil would definitely be back this time doing computer stuff in JT's room, maybe with Katie. Glory would be back too, and JT and Glory would get some canoodling in and Neil would interrupt. That is almost entirely true, and also some of that carries over into the next episode and becomes true. So good one on that. I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> it's been a it's been a good week for predictions. You said that Barrick would come back and discover that Callie and Saja had broken into the tool and die and would get suspicious about what they've discovered. Sadly, I, that did not happen. I retract what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> you said that Sandy would try to go home in the rain and would get sick. Alas, that did not happen, I no, wish. No. What we really need is some sort of chronic illness in this case. <laughs> we need someone who's wasting away from like tuberculosis or something. And they're trying to keep it secret from everyone else. Yeah. 
you predicted that Owen would try to teach Mila how to play the drums. She would be terrible and he wouldn't care at all. Alas, that did not happen. And you also said no Muffy or Grant Booth, despite the fact that the that mayoral race stuff would happen. And that was correct. Well, I mean, no mayoral race stuff did happen, but we also got no Grant Booth or Muffy. I'm giving that one to you anyway. It's 50-50. You got it. 50% correct. All right. Well, we open in Swan Soda Shop where JT is feeding his face and Glory wipes his face for him with a napkin as if he's a tiny baby. Because the 90s taught men nothing, if not that we can behave like children and expect the women in our lives to look after us. <laughs> Again, I'm so glad you're the one who said that and not me. <laughs> I mean, just first of all, he appears to be eating a cruller and it's dripping. It's a wet crawler. I don't understand. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing that the '90s taught us is that when women, you know, clean up after us, they like it because Glory like wipes his face off like he's a little man child, and then instantly smiles like it's somehow cute. So gross. I think this is why my first marriage turned out the way it did, because of Swans Crossing and similar 90s programming. I'm positive this is why my first marriage turned out the way it did. (laughs) So anyway, uh, JT and Glory talk about the dance that is apparently happening that night, which is the first we've heard of it. What the actual fuck? Normally, when we get to a Friday episode, we've been building up all week to the event. We've heard nothing about this dance the the writers got to thursday and they were like fuck what are we doing tomorrow let's make a dance, let's do a dance. <laughs> what do kids do what's a big public event this is my new swan's crossing writer's room voice you're fun to record with when you're sleep deprived i'm so tired <laughs> well jt is stoked because garrett won't be at the dance because he's still grounded and uh glory is worried about garrett still because of how badly he's taking the grounding JT literally crows about it, and then Glory gets pissed. Yep, yep. Uh, and she puts on her cute blue hat and with a red flower and stomps off, and JT calls after her, Just leave then. I have research to do anyway. JT is his own worst enemy. He really does not make things easy for himself. No. We cut to Mila's room, and Sydney is looking at herself on the wall of TVs, Apparently, she slept over last night, something we did not talk about in the last episode. They're finding something for Mila to wear to the dance tonight. Yes, what rich inner lives these children have. All they ever do is pick out outfits for events. Mila has narrowed it down to one pile of clothes when the Countess and Tutu come in. Uh, Tutu is feeling better, as and as the Countess says this, the camera is on Sydney, and it looks as if she is poisoned to the bird and is just <laughs> waiting for Tutu to die. She seems <laughs> delighted. I do kind of feel like maybe Sydney is the one who fed Tutu caramels after all. Yeah. I mean, was she trying to frame Garrett for it? Perhaps, because the Countess starts asking if if either of the girls knows who did it, and Sydney kind of implies that it was Garrett without actually saying it. So now the Countess is planning to call up Grant Booth and bitch him out about his no-good son who tries to murder birds with sticky sugar treats. But Mila's like... Don't bother because Garrett's already in enough trouble. Yeah. I want to note that the Countess looks amazing in this episode. She's got on cream pants, a black top, silver necklace with a big cross on it. She's looking fabulous. She is looking real fabulous. And she is holding Tutu aloft victoriously. He's like, oh, hi, on her arm. It's great. He's feeling better. Better. 
my little winged tutu. <laughs> yes. So uh, just then, Sydney decides to scamper off to go get fitted for her dress for the dance. Mila offers to join her, but the countess says Mila needs to stay behind because they're having a guest over for brunch. Who is that guest, Nathan? Wait, wait, wait. We're having brunch in the afternoon. Brunch yes. in the afternoon. It could just be lunch at this Doesn't point. that make it lunch? I would think so. Anyway, yeah. the guest we find out is Jack Goldbrick, her agent. Mila's agent. Goldbrick is, is the best possible name for an agent. And this oh, yeah. man, when he shows up, is everything I wanted him to be. It, it is such a great agent name. My agent's name, by the way, is Penny Von Moneybags. Not really. It's Carolyn Ford. It's I was about Ford. to say, because that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, when he shows up, he's a real real number, but we'll get to him in a moment. Mm. Because first, we cut to the tool and die, where Callie is on the phone with Ralph, letting him know that his jet ski will soon be ready. Yeah, she's got the seaweed out of the turbine filter, which is excellent. <laughs> Jimmy rides in on his bike. Callie asks if he caught anything, to which he counters... Did you? And Callie kind of apologizes for going overboard with her anger about his fishing trip with Barrick. Jimmy also apologizes for not inviting her. And he asks her to ease up on Barrick because he's a nice guy. So they're kind of back on good terms, even if they still disagree about Barrick. Yeah. And also, apparently, Barrick, we can add uh, fly fishing to the list of the growing list of things that Barrick is incredible at. Ugh, maybe this is why Callie doesn't like him, because Barrick's good at everything just like she is. Right, Barrick's, only... Barrick's the other Mary Sue. He's Mary Sue, too. Yes. It's like a Highlander situation. There can be only one. There can be only one Mary Sue. I do love... He, he claims that she's been overreacting. The weird, This weird music starts. The camera zooms in on Jimmy as he like grabs his own face and is like, I bet you, when you were little, you believed in the boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> this whole this whole like weird flirting scene scenes from them in this episode are so fucking wild. I know. I, I love it. It is very very strange, but they kind of they get into this this uh imagination hour where they're they're playing around and Callie's going along with it and pretending to be afraid of the boogeyman and uh they're both having a good time although it is very but okay so we cut to glory in her cute hat stomping through the woods i love this next section because i had forgotten about it until i'm rereading it in my notes because we never come back to it the shot changes to behind her with trees in between uh the the camera and glory as the psycho music starts playing and it is apparent that someone is following her and moving from tree to tree it would be a lot scarier if it were dark instead of a beautiful sunny day. But this is never returned to in the episode. Someone stalking Glory just for like 10 seconds. Yeah. And that's it. It is never explored. <laughs> well, we cut to the commercial. And when we come back, Sydney is standing in front of her mirror bitching about Samantha, who apparently is her personal seamstress who is sick and can't alter her dress for her. So apparently Ralph is going to do the alterations instead. Yeah. uh, So Sydney thinks that she just had the flu, Samantha, and Ralph lets her know that that was actually last year. And this leads me to believe that Samantha, uh, (laughs) Samantha gets sick every time she has to go fit fit Sydney. Probably. Which I would do. I just have to make a, a note on this dress too. It is not the kind of thing you would wear to a dance. It's like, 
business attire. 100%. You would wear this dress to a board meeting or like a power lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. Doorbell rings and Sydney says, great, with you doing Samantha's job, there's no one to do your job. <laughs> but of course, Ralph just goes and answers the door because it's not like that's hard. And while he's gone, Sydney apparently changes into two other dresses. At first, I thought she was just imagining these changes because there's like twinkly, sparkly music and she never shifts position. She's just still staring at herself in the mirror and the dresses materialize on her. But when Ralph returns with Sandy, Sydney is actually wearing a new dress. It's much more suited to a dance, too. It's like a classic little black dress, but with 90s white piping on all the seams. Yeah, yeah. Very, very sort of like, I thought it was navy at first, which would have been very New England seaside. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, I had the same reaction in terms of like, how long has Ralph been gone getting Sandy that Sydney's had the opportunity to change into two more dresses? Right. And she really takes her time with examining each dress, too. Mm -hmm. So it's a while. I guess he's down, like, having tea with Sandy or something. Yeah. So Sandy is wearing a white ruffled top, jeans, and her hair is big. Uh, Also, there is this uh, tiny pair of overlapping, like, patchwork quilt patches right at the bottom of her butt. Yeah. Jeans. As if costume designer were saying, look here! Yeah, it is an odd choice for pants, because it just just drawing your attention directly to the crack of her butt, which is just, I don't know. It's weird. I was, uh, I was weirded out by that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sydney asks Sandy what she's going to wear tonight, and Sandy says, oh, I don't know. I was thinking about wearing my green satin crepe. And then Sydney replies, I thought you were depressed. <laughs> wearing that old rag will only depress you more. <laughs> Yep, yep. And then she goes on to say, why don't you borrow something of mine? Try on some stuff on the right. It's too big on me. It might fit you. They are pretty much the same size. It should be noted. It is It is also during this conversation that uh, Sydney lets Ralph know that when he is done fitting her and doing his other things, he can go jet skiing. And he's like, well, thank you, Miss Sydney. Oh, gracious. The, <laughs> the servile gratitude is just... Anyway... It's fun. Sandy picks out another piece of office wear off of Sydney's rack, and Sydney Sydney remarks that if she hadn't been born a Rutledge, things would be as hard for her as they are for Sandy. What the tactful, fuck, Sydney? So tactful, Sydney. Thank you. Yeah, Sandy gets a nice, uh, sad. I, I, it's not Sydney. Sandy. Sandy gets a nice, sad head lower as we cut to Jack Goldbrick. Oh my God, this fucking guy. He is in. Mila's bedroom, and it were tight on him in the initial shot, and I was like, I swear to heaven, if this man is in this bedroom with Mila and some other adult is not present, I will immediately phone the police. But uh, he, he looks like a Gordon Gecko nightmare. Like, he's chewing gum, he's got his shades on, he's wearing a tan suit like that time Obama made all the Republicans really mad, and he's carrying a briefcase, which I'm sure is just full of $100 bills. Absolutely. He's got a long hair and a scruffy beard. He's the whole package. His first line is, eh, it's just like a set. How meta. <laughs> As he looks around Mila's bedroom. And I was like, well, yeah, Jack, it is. It sure is. Mm. <laughs> 
he greets the countess and he kisses Mila on both cheeks and says she's more beautiful than she has ever been before. And he says, well, this small town must really agree with you. And Mila's like, oh, I love it here. It's so great. He goes on about how beauty and talent like hers is buried in this little town is wasteful. And he's got a, he's here to make a big deal that's going to be a new series perfect for her. Uh, it's a serial, five days a week. And essentially, the Countess jumps immediately into negotiating the contract without anyone ever asking Mila if this is a series that she would like to do. Oh, yeah. And, and I thought Brittany Daniel did a really good job acting in this one because you can really feel it as these two adults just take over, haggling over this child's life. And she looks so sad. She's yeah. like, oh, my God, I'm trapped. It was such a bummer. I was like, oh, Mila. Um, the, the production is going to be filming in France. Uh, a, a prospect of which the Countess is thrilled because they will, quote, finally be able to use that villa of ours. Again, how much money did Three O'Clock Dreams pull in, especially considering that it has been canceled for two years? Right. I mean, this is ridiculous. Jack <laughs> finally notices that, that Milos has turned away and he goes over uh, and he goes, yeah, the villa must have six rims for you, modeled after Versailles. <laughs> like, oh, God, you're killing me, Jack Goldbrick. I love you. Oh, this guy's great. Mila says no repeatedly to everything he says. And he says, I think she's lost the yes word. And finally, she says that she doesn't want to leave Swan's Crossing. She has plans of her own. And she does not want to upend her life for another TV show. And immediately Jack asks if he can use the villa for a different client. <laughs> and Mila turns to her mom and promises that she will use her talents to the fullest, but she's going to do it right here in Swan's Crossing, not in show business. And Jack implies that he's going to get another girl into this role instead. And before we know what happens with that storyline, we Cut to the tool and die, where Jimmy has transformed himself into a vampire cornholio. It is. This section <laughs> is so weird. Jimmy <laughs> has pulled the back of his shirt over the top of his head, has given himself some fangs, and is and Callie is, is laying on the workbench uh, with her arms crossed on her chest. And as he leans over to quote-unquote sucker blood... Uh, she grabs like a power cord, like one of the, you know, like jumper cables. Yeah. And attaches it to his shirt, electrocuting the vampire, which, you know, if you're using classic vampire lore, not known to be vulnerable to electricity. Yeah. I mean, why not uh, pretend to stake him through the heart or throw some garlic at his face? But it, yeah. Yeah. Any of those things. I mean, here's the thing. I did. I wrote a adaptation of Dracula for the stage. What? Yeah, no, I did. And it did very well. But uh, the, the thing that the dramaturg and I were talking about was the classic question of how do you kill Dracula? And and when you ask that question, everybody goes, you know, garlic steak through the heart, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we we were like, wait a second, no, you kill uh, you kill Dracula any way you want to because Dracula doesn't exist. <laughs> That's great. I also love that your profession just allows you to casually throw around the word dramaturg. Yeah, dramaturgs are amazing. Dramaturgs are the best. I know um, lots of dramaturgs. Some of my best friends are dramaturgs. That's such a funny word. As they're playing around on the workbench, having this spooky goth good time, Jimmy gets all awkward and he asks her if she's going to the dance. And Callie's like, why? Are you asking me? And he is! It's a date! They both agree that 
They will ride their bikes there separately, but they will go on an actual date to the dance. Uh, it's it's an exchange for him borrowing her fishing gear. <laughs> <laughs> now, we finally cut back to JT at the computer with what appear to be some lava lamps in front of him. The lava lamps are new. They are. Uh, Neil comes in and he is delighted to see that JT is actually doing some work. And he kind of tongue in cheek asks if JT and Glory had a fight because he's actually working for once. And JT's like, yeah, we did actually. He says uh, that he's worried because he's missing one of the files from some of their equations. Yeah. uh, Fortunately, uh, he's not missing them. Neil has secluded them in a special folder, a quote unquote tamper proof file uh, for the UB2B equations. I would also like to note, Neil's typing is noticeably better in this scene. It, it actually sounds like typing now. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, but he does thunderously type and he pulls up the file. A bunch of gobbledygook appears on the screen, which is supposed to be the equations. And JT agrees to use Neil's secret storage files from now on. Uh, but he notes that Neil is a little paranoid. And Neil kind of evasively says, well, we're getting so close to perfecting the formula, and that makes us vulnerable. So they're still going to continue to use Professor Van as a shield, but if everything goes right, the whole world will know. They have a bro handshake and yeah. cut to commercial. And when we get back, Glory stomps onto her front porch where Katie is waiting to give her a message from JT. JT will meet her at the dance. <laughs> Glory's like not thrilled. She's like, oh, will he? <laughs> Katie has somehow got a hold of the poem notebook. And and obviously Glory notices this. Here's the thing. I think if a, a small person had been like running around in my room and had found the secret notebook of my boyfriend's poems, the last thing that I would be worried about is the poems. The fuck were you doing in my room, child? But Katie really wants to know more about these poems. She promises not to tease JT about them, so Glory says, well, which one do you want to hear? The one about the dead lizard or the one about the first crayfish he ever dissected? And (laughs) Glory's like, boys are so gross. Yes, yes, Katie. And uh, they have a discussion about a boy Glory saw Katie smile at. This little argument about, you know, liking boys. Katie runs off into the house screaming, Glory likes JT! Um, And as Glory is sitting down on the bench with the poems... Garrett walks out. And I was instantly like, oh my gosh, Garrett's going to get the poems. Alas, that does not happen. Uh, He's all mad about being shut up in his room. And Glory says she wishes he could come to the dance because she misses hanging out with him. And Garrett suggests that maybe Glory should talk to their dad to convince him to let him out for one night on good behavior. Glory reminds Garrett that he probably doesn't want to go because Sydney will be there. And, And Garrett says... Had lots of time to think about how short life is, and it's too short to hold grudges. And the smirk on his face is palpable. Like, why would you believe him when he says right? That? But for some reason, Glory is impressed with his rapid and inexplicable maturity. She should probably be smarter than this, really. She's known Garrett her whole life. Right. But she, she promises to talk to their dad uh, to see if he'll let Garrett go to the dance for this one night. And uh, we cut to Sydney and Sandy. Sydney's working on Sandy's hair, advising her to condition more because it's "quote unquote" getting hard. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'm 12 years old. And the dress she's wearing looks like a dumb, like it's it's truly does not fit well. 
No, it doesn't fit well, and again, it is not the kind of thing you wear to a teenager dance. It looks like something you'd wear to your aunt's funeral, except that yes. it's red. Yeah, I mean, sort of like a red Jackie O dress that does not fit well. Yeah, yeah, it is just wildly inappropriate for the event. It's so strange. Ralph shows up, and he announces Mila's arrival. And we get some <laughs> such good passive-aggressive remarks from Ralph about he, how he can't be out jet skiing because he was occupied with sewing and the jet ski doesn't have a headlamp. Like anyone with jet ski in the dark. Oh my god, I love how like pissy Ralph is getting in this. It's it's fantastic. It's so good. Mila breezes in with very tall hair and she is wearing a pink dress with little white polka dots. And she looks great. Yeah. Um, she asks if everybody's ready for the swan crossing dance party. And Sandy's like, not as ready as you are, Mila. You always look so good. (laughs) And Mila, who is just like super sweet, mentions that, well, Sandy is such a good singer and she wishes she could sing as well as Sandy can. Aww. Yeah. And this, and, and Sandy has a moment, uh, just a brief moment of self-esteem before Mila lets drop that Owen has said that Mila can sing back up on their demo tape. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and we get this we get this amazing stacked what I what I initially thought was a stacked two shot of Sandy's reaction as she's putting on a pearl bracelet. Technically, it is a stacked three shot because it goes Sandy, Mila, and Sydney behind Mila. It is I was like, this is this is the height of soap opera technology. <laughs> it's a triple whammy. Oh, so good. We cut back to the booth porch where spooky music plays while Garrett plucks the petals from one of the flowers that represented Sydney in the previous <laughs> wild episode. Just torturing this poor flower. Glory shows up. She says their dad agreed to let him go to the dance as long as Garrett got all his chores done. And he cryptically replies that he's done everything he needs to do. We cut to commercial and then the dance and oh my lands the awkward teenager dancing oh like there's a sandy jam playing very quietly in the background but you can mostly just hear the shuffling and stomping of many feet as the teens dance in the most awkward imaginable way (laughs) around the pool yeah right next to the pool i mean we are primed the expectation if if you have ever in your life seen it's a wonderful life is that kids will end up in this pool (laughs) In their formal oh. wear. Oh, for sure. Like, it has to happen at this point. The uh, the club is all decked out with lights and balloons and paper lanterns and whatnot. Um, and by the way, we actually, we we spoke with, uh, with Stacey Mosley. We recorded that yesterday relative to when we're recording now. But um, but the episode, the interview with Stacey is going to come out before this one does for our listeners. So we already know from Stacey's commentary that this pool, I always thought, I always assumed it was like an on-location uh, set, that they went to some actual pool somewhere and filmed the pool scenes there. No, this was built in the soundstage. Like yeah, the, the floor opened up like It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, it's so great. I love knowing that detail about this now. So no they were problem. on their soundstage pool having the world's worst dance. JT and Glory are walking through the dancing people, holding hands, looking cute. Uh, they make up and apologize for being stupid er- earlier. JT goes, 
I, at least I got some work done when we weren't together. And she immediately is like, are you saying I interfere with your work? And he's like, uh, no, uh, uh, can we dance? Yes. And I love that. That's the way you solve a stupid argument that doesn't need to happen. You just go, let's just not do this. Let's just have fun instead. Right. And it seems to work because, again, Glory's like, yeah. Sydney shows up. She crosses to where Saja is sitting on a deck chair, staring at what I assume is all the votive candles which he stole from the various tables. And Sydney says, it's too bad Bobby isn't here because he was such a good dancer. Saja makes some corny quasi-spiritual remark and Sydney playfully basically tells him to shut up and pulls him up to dance. Yep. Uh, Mila asks Neil to dance and it is adorable how flustered Neil gets. <laughs> it was really cute. <laughs> and she's like, I saw you dancing at my not birthday party. And I was like, oh, please don't remind me of the horrible like <laughs> sexual harassment of this minor boy by Jazz. We don't need to recall that. So bad. But Mila drags Neil off for a dance and uh, should be noted, just for foreshadowing purposes, that he has a paper cup in his hand. Ah! Yes. Um, then we see Owen and Sandy, and she's chewing him out for letting Mila sing back up on the demo. Yeah. Owen is too dense to understand how mad Sandy is over this, or why she's mad. Instead, he just instantly says hi to Mila and ditches Sandy. Yeah. I'd also like to bring up that Owen, unlike everyone else at this party, is in a t-shirt with a plaid overshirt, like a plaid flannel overshirt. <laughs> He has not made any effort to dress up. True, but in fairness, that is exactly the kind of boy I went for back in the 90s. Honestly, that's the kind of boy I still go for. It's one who makes no effort and just wears a giant plaid flannel shirt over everything. You know what? I've noticed this about your husband. <laughs> I mean, not that he makes no effort. He does make effort at a lot of things. <laughs> There is a lot of plaid flannel. Yes, there is. Over by the punch bowl, Jimmy and Callie are having a great time bantering about the bike race they had to get here. And as they wander off, Garrett arrives looking like a million bucks in his sport jacket and tie. And people are so shocked to see him off of his grounding that they literally stop dancing to stare at him. The guy dancing next to him just stops and stares mouth agape. It's so good. It's really good. Everyone seems either delighted or at least surprised, except for Mila and Sydney, who both look disgusted and suspicious at Garrett. Here's, here's how I wrote this in my notes. Mila sees Garrett and rolls her eyes, looks at Sydney. Sydney sees him. Garrett sees that Sydney sees him. Smiles. Sydney's <laughs> stony-faced. But then after they do this thing where they've kind of locked eyes, uh, Sydney like forcefully goes back to dancing with Saja as if to make a point. And in response, Garrett grabs Sandy by the arm as she's passing by and asks her if she wants to dance. To be fair, Garrett, without looking, grabs the first girl walking by and asks her to dance. And it happens to be Sandy. <laughs> It's, yeah, his attitude is the most sure whatever about it that anyone has ever been about anything. Sandy just can't be asked with anything anymore. <laughs> then we get a fade. It's later that night. The party has begun to wind down. Sydney is sitting alone on the end of the diving board, not over the water, but over the side that doesn't have water on it. <laughs> and she is staring at all the candles as Saja was before. And Garrett walks up behind her. When she realizes it's him, she starts to leave. And he has he says he has something to show her. Yes, and he pulls the birth certificate out of his pocket. Dun, dun, dun. 
We cut to Katie on the phone in JT's room. Why why this child is going into other people's rooms literally all the time? No idea. <laughs> and she says, there's no Professor Van here. And my parents told me never to talk to strangers. She hangs yes. up the phone. And then we cut to one of the baldies in the room with the fan blades spinning as he sets the phone cautiously back down on the receiver. Then we're back with Garrett and Sydney, and he's pointing out the footprint with the birthmark on it and her name on that birth certificate. And Sydney's like, I never had a birthmark on my foot. And Garrett says, right. And who does? And Sydney says, switched at birth? Me and Sandy? Psycho, ah! psycho music, freeze, roll credits. Oh, so intense. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love Quite it so a setup for the next one. And and the freeze, the like Sarah Michelle Geller's face in this freeze frame moment is just oh perfect. It's perfect. It's one of the better Sarah Michelle Geller freeze frame faces out of many, many good ones in this show. Yeah. She knows how to give a freeze hold. Oh, well done. Swan count this week is uh one new fake swan. It's the swan on the birth certificate. So our running count is two imaginary swans, 24 actual swans, and 72 other swans. Very nice. And who's our psychopath of the week? Uh, I, I'm i going to go uh, Sydney, largely due to her complete obliviousness to anyone else's feelings in this entire episode. Okay. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to hit mute and you can lay your predictions on me for next one. Quite some foreshadowing we've got going on here. Okay. So I think we pick up where we left off at the party. Um, somehow kids end up in the pool uh, at the at the dance. Uh, I think Neil spills his mug on some nice dress. Probably Mila as he was dancing with her. Sandy spends a lot of time in the next episode, like, digesting how she's going to teach Mila to sing and how she feels about Owen inviting her to be on the tape. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot about the birth certificates. A tremendous amount about, like, how Garrett got the certificate, what this means for Sydney, what this means for Sandy. I don't know if Sandy finds out in the next episode about the switched at birth news. I, in fact, I don't think she does. I think it's just Sydney at the, like, because Garrett is messing with her specifically. Other than that, uh, I think we get a little bit more awkward flirting between Callie and Jimmy, but I think that happens at the pool party or the dance. Sydney confronts her mother about the birth certificate and whether or not she and Sandy were switched at birth. No, no, nothing happens with the stage, the centennial stage. Those are my predictions. All right, excellent. Quite a few there. We will see uh, how that pans out relative to next week's storyline. Excellent. Yeah, well, um, lots to look forward to, and, uh, and we'll get into it next week. Thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. Yes, and if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Gotta Grow Up Pod and on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. And uh, until next time, my friends, may you effectively kill every Cornholio vampire you encounter. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,
your blood out until you become one of us. Been waiting for you, darling. I have something for you. What is it, my bride? Just a little something that will give you a shock. Ah!